All right, well, welcome. This is a bigger class than I get when I teach systematic theology, so that's awesome. Uh, great to see you all. Um, there will be others that will probably be jumping in as we go. Um, so this is biblical sexuality, so uh, if that's not okay with you, then you're in the wrong place, but hopefully that is okay with you. Um, there are, there's a text message number and an email at the bottom of the screen that will be on every slide, and that will be in front of you the whole time that we're here. That's the way to ask questions, so any questions that you have along the way, you're welcome to ask, and uh, just shoot those to me, and I'll be kind of monitoring that as we, as we go through the, uh, through the evening um, and throughout the class. So let me pray, and we'll, we'll jump right in. Jesus, this is a complex issue in a complex world that we live in, and yet you have a very good plan for our sexuality and the way that you have made us. And so, God, um, I pray that tonight, as we set the stage and in the next several weeks, as we, uh, as we walk through this class, that you would you'd guide us, you would help us to hear what's most important for us to hear, and uh, help us to engage with your heart, not just for us, but for the world around us, for people that are so desperately in need of, of hearing your word, your grace, your message, your love for them. And so, God, guide my words um, as I teach and uh, as we engage truth. We ask that you would, you would lead us. And so, uh, Jesus, we pray that you would go before us in your name. Amen. Amen. Um, I do want to let you know, in case it matters to any of you, I don't know that there's live mics here, but we are going to be recording this in order to be able to release it as a podcast later uh, because there are uh, lots that would like to listen to this, uh, at least on audio. So if you at least come up and talk, that's why I'm talking in a microphone. I'm, I have a loud enough mouth. You could hear me anyway. Um, but uh, that's for recording purposes. And if you come up and yell right at me into the microphone, you'll be on the podcast too. So there you go. If, uh, if that's been your dream, you can do it. You just jump right in. Um, so uh, let me first kind of hit a couple structure things. Uh, the, the goal is that we are going to do this class uh, after today at a roughly 50-50 kind of clip, meaning I'll plan roughly 50% teaching every week, so roughly 45 minutes, uh, as I've roughly planned this week, and then 45 minutes of Q&A. So the Q&A stuff, you can be sending in text message or uh, email. You won't bother me. I'm used to my phone and my watch blowing up while I'm preaching. It happens to me all the time because some of you are so uh, great to send me text messages while I preach on Sunday morning, so thanks for that. Um, and so that's no problem. You can send those in, and uh, we'll be able to engage those along the way. Um, the reason I'm doing that is because I want to make sure I'm hitting uh, the things that you have specific questions about, and so the best way to do that is to make sure uh, we're getting questions coming in, and so you're welcome to send those literally now or whenever you want. It doesn't make a difference, and um, I won't necessarily hit everything. I will kind of curate those questions along the way and try to uh, lump them together where I can. Uh, the other thing that's vitally important for you to hear, so everybody look right at me because this is a significant thing, particularly in our world today. There is going to be a class on gender in February, and as much as I would so love to dive into that, the only way to include gender in this class would be to do it in one week, and there is no possible way for us to engage gender in an appropriate and healthy way in one week. And so, there will, it's not going to be a part two, it's not like you have to be in this class to be in that class, 
but we're going to do gender and uh, the way that God sees gender in February. So if you send me gender questions, I will be just putting them in a file. So you're welcome to send them. I just want to answer them in the next four weeks. We'll uh, put them in a file, and I'll be coming back to those in February. So I know, I know the two have some overlap, um, but um, honestly, there's a lot less overlap than most people think they are. Uh, that's actually more political overlap than it is uh, actually biblical overlap. And so uh, we'll talk about that as we get to gender in February, but we'll be talking sexuality for um, the course of this month. So by a show of hands, I need you to help me out. How many of you, this is not meant to embarrass anybody, so don't be offended, but how many of you were born in 1960? Would you raise your hand if you were born in 1960? So that's so proud. Thank you. That's so good. Like she's like, yes, that's me. That's me. So raise your hand again if you were born in 1960. So we can just see real quick. No, I'm sorry. That, I don't mean that you were born. You were alive in 1960. So you were born before 1960 or alive in 1960. How about that? So there we go. So that's that's you. Sorry, I said that. I said that. Okay, that's great. So now keep your hand up. Um, what, keep your hand up and raise your hand if you were born by 1972, so you were alive in 1972. So a few uh, people added to that, all right? Um, how about in 1981? Were you alive? That, my hand's actually up now. How many of you were alive by 1981? All right. So keep your hand up. Matt Bros, your hand should be up. You're, yeah, come on now. I, I, look, come on. I know that you were alive before that. Okay. Um, okay, so... This is who we have from 81, right? So look around. There's going to be a big jump here in just a minute. Uh, how many of you were alive in 1989? Put your hand up if you were alive in 1989. All right, here comes the group. Okay, now, um, now, now watch this. How many of you were alive by 2007? All right, is any, anybody not alive by 2007? You weren't there yet? No, come on, you're hurting, you're hurting my heart. You're hurting my heart. I thought we'd be good by now. All right, um, how about 2012? Anybody, everybody alive by 2012? Can I have your hand if you were alive by 2012? Everybody? All right, that means that everybody would be alive by 2013 and 2015. Let me tell you why those, you can put your hands down, tell you why those dates are important. Um, those dates, starting in 1960, are the milestone dates, 1960, 1972, 1981, 1989, 2007, there's a bunch that happened in there, but there was such a big jump in 2007, I just jumped to that one. Uh, 2012, 2013, 2015, I'll explain those in just a minute. But those are the milestone dates as it relates to the way that we have engaged sexuality as a culture. So what I want to do tonight is to primarily look at five shifts that have happened in our world over the last 50 years, 60 years, sorry. Uh, five shifts that had happened over the last 60 years since 1960. So, Dan, if you want to go forward to that first one. Uh, five shifts that have happened over the last 60 years. The first one is this. In the last 60 years, sex has become disconnected from procreation. So in 1960, for those of you who were putting your hands up in 1960, uh, 1960 was when the first oral contraceptive was approved and began to be widely distributed. So up until 1960, uh, sex was by definition tied to procreation. And up, and, uh, up until then, you had to use some other kind of method. So uh, that's not that long ago. That's a pretty wild idea that 60 years, it was only 61 years ago when the first oral contraceptive was approved. But let me blow your mind for just a second. 1972 was the next number on the list. In 1972, oral contraceptives were approved for the first time to be used by single people. 
There was 12 years that oral contraceptives were, uh, so you're talking the pill, right, a birth control pill. Um, you were allowed to take a birth control pill if you were married, but when you got to 1972 for the very first time, the, the, uh, the government said you could take that, you could receive a prescription for that pill. Believe me, there were people taking it before that. But you could receive a prescription for that pill if you were single. So th the big divide here is up until 1960, sex was necessarily tied to procreation. And from 1960 to 1972, sexuality was, uh, was defined governmentally as something that was happening inside of marriage for the purpose of procreation. P post-1972, there was a tacit understanding within our culture that sexuality was not just a procreation thing, but it was a pleasure thing. There was pleasure and procreation. Now, um, also, believe me, everybody understood that sex was for pleasure before that, too. It wasn't like in 1972, they were like, oh, wait, this is fun. So uh, it, there, there, was, there was obviously, uh, there was pleasure in the early portions of this, too. But um, from, a, from a cultural perspective, now, this is, this is the government of the United States of America. It wasn't until 1972 that we said you can get a birth control pill if you're not married. The first big shift, uh, sex has become disconnected from procreation. Shift number two, sex has become disconnected from marriage. So um, the, the way that Christianity teaches sexuality, and I'll tell you up front the perspective that we will be coming from, because I believe it is very, very clearly biblical, is that sex belongs in the confines of a covenant marriage. That was the predominant understanding of the majority of the world. I'm not talking about Christianity. I'm talking about the majority of the world. That um, it was not just Christian teaching, biblical teaching, but Gandhi believed that sex should be inside of marriage. The, the entire Islamic world believes that sex should be inside of marriage. There's, there's a, uh, at, at least theologically, uh, as Christians do theologically, right? Um, so, so this understanding that sexuality was uh, tied very specifically to a covenant marriage begins to break down. When that starts to break down, see if this uh, starts to resonate with you a little bit, Sex becomes something that doesn't just bring pleasure, but it also equally brings anxiety. Because when sex is taken outside of covenant, now your sexual relationship begins to open you up to people who are not committed to you. Now you can say, well, we only have a sexual relationship inside of a committed relationship. Well, um, a committed relationship lasts as long as that one partner or another says committed, right? Like, um, they, if there's no covenant marriage, they can leave at any point. And some of you have experienced that. That's part of the way that our culture has unfolded. So what, what has begun to happen is that as sex has gotten disconnected from marriage, sex has begun, begun to be something that brings anxiety and brings tension into us because there's this sense of, um, I'm opening myself up to other people. Um, and, and there's this thing called soul ties. We'll get into that probably uh, next week. But uh, what happens is we begin to give ourselves away to people who we have no business giving ourselves away to, and they have no business receiving us. And so as that begins to happen, 
our soul begins to break down and we begin to feel this sense of anxiety because of unease, uh, because uh, we're connected to people that we shouldn't be connected to. So sex has become disconnected from marriage. Uh, sex has also become disconnected from the male and female relationship. We're going to uh, jump ahead in that timeline. It's unbelievable to me that it wasn't until 2015 that the Obergefell decision uh, happened in the Supreme Court that legalized gay marriage. So that's only been six years that uh, gay marriage has been uh, fully legal across the United States. Now, as I say that, there have been places where gay marriage was illegal long before that, and um, there, the movement that, that culminated in 2015 had been happening for literally decades. But as sex has become disconnected from the male-female relationship, uh, this, whole, th this whole way of looking at marriage has become far more complex because even the term marriage has started to break down to become something different. We're going to talk about that quite a bit uh, in the next couple weeks. But um, sex has become disconnected from the male-female relationship. Sex has become disconnected from love, emotion, and relational commitment. Now, this is a heavy one, but, um, and, and some of you would say, no, not for me, and not for everybody. But um, sexuality in our modern world has begun to shift away from love, emotion, and relational commitment. So um, some of you said you were alive in 2012. That was finally the one where everybody had their hand up. That means congratulations. You all have been alive long enough to see Tinder. Congra that, that started. T Tinder started in 2012. Um, so you swipe one direction or the other. I don't know. And if I did know, I wouldn't tell you. But I don't know. I don't know what direction you, you swipe. Um, but... But Tinder, the whole idea of the Tinder app is that you become a part of what's called hookup culture. Some of you heard that phrase, hookup culture, where effectively you have a sexual relationship that ties simply to the fact that you're having a sexual relationship. Like, that's it. Like, literally, that's it. Uh, there's a lady named Donna Friedas who wrote a book called The End of Sex, which is an interesting title and concept. Um, and, and her research showed that marriage among young adults in the late uh, 2000 teens, so 2015 to 2020 was roughly where she was doing research, that marriage has delayed on average 10 to 20 years from just a decade before because young adults are pursuing all kinds of good stuff. Um, they're pursuing careers, they're pursuing uh, financial stability, they're paying off massive amounts of college debt and uh, trying to get themselves stable. But in that process of uh, kind of establishing themselves, many of them have said, I don't want to give up sex, but I also don't want to put the time and the effort and the emotion into a relationship because I just can't invest that much right now. I have stuff that I need to do in my life. And so it's created this culture where people are beginning to engage a sexual relationship literally for the sake of a sexual relationship. The terms like friends with benefits, where you can uh, have a friendship with someone and say, hey, why don't we have a friendship and a sexual relationship? So as sex has become disconnected from love, emotion, and relational commitment, you've seen uh, sexuality used in a way that simply has been commodified. It's just been like uh, something that's exchanged between people. It's a way that you uh, negotiate a relationship like any other, like, um, are you going to buy dinner? Or are we going to split the tab? Or are we going to have sex later? Like, that's the, like literally the conversations that are happening in the world around us. And fascinating, Donna Friedis also says that um, sex has, uh, the amount of sex that young adults is having has dropped dramatically during that season. Now, that's uh, fascinating for all kinds of reasons. Some of you are like, oh, good, that's healthy because they're not married, so they're not having sex. Well, actually, they're looking at porn, primarily, actually. 
Um, and what's also happening, fascinatingly enough, is how many of you sent a text message today? Just raise your hand if you sent a text message today. I sent a bunch today. A couple of you holy people didn't. Wow, I'm so impressed. Um, the, there are all kinds of studies out there that because of text messaging culture, because of the way that we engage with one another, young adults have failed to learn how to um, seduce someone. We, we don't know how to have a flirtatious relationship because we only know how to speak in, like, abbreviations. Um, I don't know if you've seen, uh, have you ever seen the film A Beautiful Mind? Anybody know that film? Um, there's a, a fabulous scene in there. I'm not going to get the quote exactly right, but it's really, it, so um, it's uh, Nash. I can't remember, John Nash, is that right? I don't know. He's a mathematician, brilliant guy, um, socially a bit, um, a bit awkward would not be, yeah, anyway, really awkward. Um, it, it has some mental health issues and whatever, but brilliant, brilliant guy. And he's uh, having this conversation with this woman, and he literally says to her, um, I don't know uh, what I'm supposed to say right now, but could we pretend that I said the thing I was supposed to say so you go have sex with me and then just go have sex? And she slaps him, you know. It's just, but now that's like normal because it's like, I, I really don't know how to do this thing. Um, can we just get to the next step, right? And some people get slapped and some people go to bed together. Like that's the way the process works. And so sexuality has become less, as people have said, pornography is way easier than actual sex. Um, and sex has become less because people fail to actually establish real vital relationships, which is a whole other topic at some point in time. So these four shifts have all significantly happened. They have really begun to take root. The fifth shift um, we haven't seen quite as far developed, but it is coming and it's coming fast. And that fifth shift is this. Sex has become disconnected from people. And you may say, okay, that's weird. How's that work? Well, um, if you go back to 2007, a bunch of you were alive in 2007, that was the advent of the iPhone. And when the iPhone came, the reason why I made a big jump from uh, 1989, which was, by the way, 1989 was uh, when um, uh, AOL started. Some of you remember the... Yeah, that was, that was AOL back in the day. Um, and that, that thing was how we began to interact with one another in virtual space. Back in 1981, MTV debuted. When MTV debuted, it was the first time that um, what now looks very, very safe, but at that point was, it seemed very sexually explicit material was being broadcast all over. I mean, it was cable TV, but um, it, was, it was pretty risque for the time. So uh, things began to emerge back then. But in 2007, the iPhone, uh, the, the iPhone was launched. And when the iPhone was launched, and the majority of people over a, a very short period of time were carrying the internet around in their pocket, now all of a sudden, sexuality became, first of all, tied to a phone through online pornography, which is very free and very readily available to lots and lots of people on a phone. So that was one thing. But the technology that was in the iPhone began to emerge into what is a, 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 a kind of artificial intelligence that has changed the way that people see sexuality. So now, y today, if you go to Japan or Korea, there will be big groups of people. Uh, here in the US, it's still a relatively small subculture and still mostly on the coasts, but there will be big groups of people who have, I'm, I'm gonna call them relationships, that uh, are they would consider to be married relationships with a robot that has artificial intelligence and a name 
and the capacity to give them sexual pleasure. And their reasoning is, I don't know how to interact with real people, but I know how to interact with this person. And if I just uh, spend a lot of money on this robot, that will show the extent to which I really love this robot and I'm really committed to this relationship. 2013, there was a film released called Her. Has anybody heard of that film? Uh, Joaquin, Notice, uh, Joaquin Phoenix is in that film. And um, it's, it's wild. It truly holds up. Um, if you go back and watch it even now, um, it is basically uh, Joaquin Phoenix falling in love with a artificial intelligence voice um, named Samantha, who he just has a conversation with and through conversation falls in love with this voice. And th there's this very kind of um, dystopian kind of feeling because as you journey with him, if you watch that film, you begin to feel their relationship, the nature of their relationship, and yet she's in a little box. And that's, that's it. That, that world is not yet here so much in York County, Pennsylvania, but it's coming and it's happening globally. So sex has become disconnected from procreation, disconnected from marriage, disconnected from the male-female relationship, disconnected from love, emotion, relational commitment, and disconnected from people. Um, the reason why we want, I wanted to do this class is because all of these shifts move away from God's good intent and God's good design. And that, that doesn't mean that there's not a whole lot to wrestle through in all of these shifts. Uh, some of them even more than others. But God has a good plan, and that's the good plan that we want to try to come back to and try to engage uh, over the course of uh, the next couple weeks. People see these shifts, and um, lots of people would look at this, particularly the younger you are, the more that you would tend to look at this and say, okay, well, I get that that's not what the Bible says, but what's the big deal? The, the kind of the pragmatic question that gets tossed out is, who has ever gotten hurt from a little bit of sex? Who's ever been hurt by a little sex? No big deal. As long as it doesn't hurt anybody, the way that we tend to see morality in our culture, as long as it doesn't hurt anybody, then it should be fine. Now, Dan, go back to those five again. And I want to ask you to look at that and, and be really honest. When those five shifts are happening in the world around us, if you've lived, uh, I would put you maybe at low to mid-20s, who hasn't been hurt by one of those five things? See, what starts to happen is because we've detached our sexuality from the way that God intended it, we have this brokenness that has become just a passive part of our culture. It's just the, the normal part of being alive. You get hurt by people in sexual relationships normal. The fact that your husband or boyfriend or wife or girlfriend is addicted to online pornography is just normal life. That's just the way it is. The fact that you come into a marriage relationship with five or six or ten or twenty or fifty previous sexual partners is just normal. That's just the way it is. And yet, as you start to engage that relationship, you start to feel the hurt of that. Who hasn't been hurt by a little sex? Ronald Rollheiser is uh, a Catholic priest um, who is celibate and, oddly enough, is uh, one of, I think, 
the best writers on the way that we engage sexuality. Uh, that's, there's all kinds of theology behind that, which we'll get to in a bit. But I want to show you a quote from Rollheiser. He says this, The church has always struggled with sex, but so have everyone else. There aren't any cultures, religious or secular, pre-modern or modern, post-modern or post-religious, that exhibit a truly healthy sexual ethos. Every church and every culture struggles with integrating sexual energy, if not in its creed about sex, at least in the living out of that creed. Secular culture looks at the church and accuses it of being uptight and anti-erotic. Partly this is true, but the church might well protest that much of its sexual reticence is rooted in the fact that it is one of the few voices still remaining who are challenging anyone toward sexual responsibility. As well, the church might also challenge any culture that claims to have found the key to healthy sexuality to step forward and show the evidence. No culture will take up that claim. Everyone is struggling. That last line I want you to see because I want you to feel that as we go into this next three weeks. Everyone is struggling. You probably signed up for this because either you or someone you love is struggling in some way. You signed up for this because you have a sense of the, the world is confusing to me and I'm not sure how to enter into it. I'm not sure how to take biblical sexuality, what I understand the Bible to say, and the world around me and put them together. I don't know how to unite those things. I, I feel pain because of the way that I've been treated, because of the way that people I love have been treated. I feel uh, the shame that comes from the way that I've engaged sex or the way that I've been made to feel because of the way I've engaged sex. And I'm coming here to hopefully get some answers. And I want you to hear, everyone is struggling. Every one of us. Me too. All of us. We live in a broken world that is incredibly broken as it relates to this specific area of sexuality. So that means that in this room and over the course of the next month, we're going to touch on deep issues of pain and touch on areas that are deeply identity-related issues for some of you. We're going to talk about things that, and, and you're going to feel a sense of what has been in the past and it's going to come back up or what is in the present or what is in your dreams and it's going to come back up and it's going to feel very heavy and painful and difficult for you. We're going to uh, speak into things where you feel deeply confused. I believe the Bible and I believe this thing and they don't work together and I don't know what to do about it. I, I believe what God says and I know this person and I love them so deeply and they're outside of the will of God and I don't know what to do about it. You're going to feel all of that. And that's going to be part of this journey. And I, and I want to say that up front because I don't want you to be shocked when it happens. Um, some of you it's already happened to and there's going to be lots more in the weeks to come. Um, the way that sexuality and identity interact is one of the key issues that we have in our society. The, the, the question that we keep asking, and you're going to unpack this now, and if you come back for the gender class in February, we're really going to dig into it in February. The question is, am I who God has made me to be, or am I how I behave? Ha am I uh, who, are, who I am? Are we who we are, or are we how we act? And that's not just a sex question. That's a, 
a life question. Like, am I identified as a sinner? Because I bet, like, I, I asked a text message question, and there were a couple of you who didn't put your hand up, but I bet if we said, how many of you sinned in thought, word, and deed today? Um, or, especially if I said or, thought, word, or deed. Like, man, immediately, right? Everybody, everybody, honest person. The only people who don't have their hands up are liars, right? Who've done just sinned by lying, right? <laughs> That's the way it works. Like, we're, we're sinners. Is that our identity? No, I would argue the Bible says really clearly that we are not identified as sinners. And so that same thing we have to hold to be true across the board. That can't just be like over here in the religious way of looking at the world. I'm, I'm a saint saved by grace, and I'm identified by my sexuality, and I'm identified by my gender preference. You can't have both. Are you who you are, or are you how you act? Because as deeply as we feel it, our sexuality is how we act. It's not who we are. Who we are is separate from our sexuality. Our sexuality is vitally important, really big deal. That's why we're doing this class. But it's not the essence of who we are. And so identity is going to be one of those key things that we're really going to be pressing into. So this is a really difficult conversation. There's going to be a lot of pain that comes with this. I hope a lot of joy that goes with it as well. I hope that there's going to be a lot of freedom in the process. And I will try to tell a couple jokes now and then so it's not so heavy. I'll do my best. Um, it, it's it's going to be it's going to be tricky, but God has a good plan. It was good at the beginning. It's still good now. So let me just give you a, a quick overview of some stuff, and then uh, we'll go from there. This is this is the plan for the class. Um, next week we're going to look at God's good design. I'm going to lay out for you uh, the way sexual formation is intended, uh, as well as some of the way that sexual formation happens within the world around us. And we're going to kind of talk through the way that goes. We'll hit some of biblical sexuality. Um, the, the way that God intended it through that process. Um, 1020, I'm calling Approaching with Grace. That's when we're going to dive deeply into the same-sex issues. Uh, so basically, if, if you know the, uh, the, um, the letters, we're going to do the L, the G, the B, and a bit of the Q and some of the plus, but we're not going to do the T and some of the Q until we get to gender. So if you're familiar with all the letters, you know kind of what that, that's talking about. Uh, so we're going to work our way through that, but um, uh, let, let me just say up front, I'll talk about this more in a couple weeks. Um, I came into full-time ministry in 2002. Um, when I came into full-time ministry in 2002, I came out of immediately um, the fashion design world. Uh, I had been working in, uh, working in women's clothes. I don't mean I dressed in them. I mean I was designing them. Um, I had been working in women's clothes for a couple years, and then before that I was in women's handbags. Um, and then uh, prior to coming into the fashion industry, I spent most of my time in theater. I, I got a degree, I guess, somewhere along the way, but I didn't do a whole lot of class stuff. I mostly just did theater. I did theater um, in the summers. I did theater through the school year. I did like every show that you could do. That means by definition, some of you know this, some of you don't know that, that when I came into ministry full-time in 2002, far more of my friends were homosexual than heterosexual. That's just the life that I was living. It was just the people I was connected to. There was literally, there was one, uh, the, the place that I worked, um, the, on the floor that I worked on, there were uh, a couple dozen guys, and I believe there were two, or maybe by the time I left, there were maybe three of those guys that were heterosexual. The rest of them were all homosexual. And a bunch of the women too, but man, the guys in that industry, like most of my guy friends were homosexual. And so, um, 
based on a life that was grown up in the theater and then formed in the fashion industry, I want you to hear I have a really, really deep heart for people who are same-sex attracted, and I get really worked up with the way the church has handled that issue over the years. That doesn't mean the church has been wrong all the time, but the church has handled it wrong uh, a lot. And so we're going to talk a little bit about that, and that's why I call that approaching with grace, because we need to learn to be able to speak truth with love, and um, the church is not real good at that. And so we're going to try to work our way through that. And then on uh, 1027, I'm simply calling this a story of pursuit. So um, let, this would be a good time to introduce to you. Matt Bros is back over here. So hi, Matt. Matt is going to be uh, kind of co-teaching along with me uh, along the way. And so I'm going to give him the freedom that I'm not going to give you, which I'll talk to in just a second, to be able to kind of speak up and uh, engage some of these topics a as we're going. And on the 27th, I'm actually going to be on vacation. And so Matt is going to be here and he's going to tell you his story and uh, give you a chance to interact around his story. You'll hear a little bit more about that as we go, but I'm um, thrilled to have. Matt, Matt went to Mosaic and broke our hearts. Um, he broke Ashley's heart more than mine, but really he broke both of our hearts a lot. So anyway, um, yeah, so we're really sad, but we're glad to have you here, man. It's good to be with you. Um, so I, I say all of that to say, uh, to say this. Um, we are, you're, you see that text message and email questions down there below? Um, that's the only way that you're going to be able to interact with us in the public setting as we go through this. And here's the reason. Um, remember all that stuff I said about pain and tension and identity and all of the weight that this has? Uh, some of you are taking a big risk just by being here, and I'm going to try to be really, really careful and loving in the way that I interact with all of you. Some of you, I know your stories. Some of you, I don't know your stories. I'm going to try to be really careful in the way I do that. I'm going to try to tell you the truth. Uh, in love, because I believe that's what Jesus calls us to do. Um, I, I love you all. I do not trust that if we open the mic up and you start to ask questions, you're going to be able to say them in a way that's going to be helpful. And I'm just being totally honest with you. I will translate your questions when you send them to me. Um, because we all come from different backgrounds, and we all are dealing with different stuff. And the last thing I want is some of you taking a really big risk to be here, and somebody stands up to ask a question, and you feel like you just got run over by a train. That's not fair and I'm not going to ask you to be in that position. So if you want to communicate, send a text message, send an email. I'm, uh, we, we will deal with as many questions as we can, and Matt will be the so sole person who gets the right to speak into stuff. And so um, you win, man. Good job. Way to go. Awesome. Um, so uh, finally, let me give you a few class notes, just a few things that you need to know. Uh, we will not hit everything. There is no possible way that in the next four and a half hours of instruction we will be able to cover biblical sexuality. It will not happen. So um, don't expect that it will. I will do my best to answer all of the questions that I can in this setting. If you want to speak a question to me, you are welcome to do that. You just can't do that during the class. So when the class is over, or at some point in between classes, or at some point after this class is done, I'm glad to have any conversation you want. Um, I, I really am deeply passionate about this topic. I just don't get to preach on it because we have an intergenerational church and I don't want to a um, have questions coming from sixth grade parents as to why I said that word. <laughs> and so um, this is a place, that's why students that are here had to get parents permission to be here um, because I'm going to be using a lot of terms and we're going to talk about stuff in a really frank way. And I get to do that in this setting. I can't do that on Sunday mornings. And so because of that, that's why we moved it to this class. But I, I'm really glad to have these conversations with you. They're really, really important. Um, I spend probably a third, I think that's about right, 
A third of the time that I spend in counseling, I spend with people who are either um, same-sex attracted and are working their way through that as it comes from a biblical perspective or have some kind of sexual addiction. So I, I spend a ton of time with people like that. Um, I, I can almost guarantee, I almost said guarantee, that's probably not true. I can almost guarantee you you're not going to say something to me that's going to surprise me or that I haven't heard before. So whatever your story is, we can have a conversation about it. It's totally fine. But you can't have that conversation from the microphone, and probably you didn't want to anyway, so it's okay. Um, so we're not going to hit everything. Expect to be frustrated. Expect to be frustrated with some of the things that I say. The, the Bible and the culture that we live in are very, very different. And I am going to try to translate them as well as I can, the scriptures into our culture as well as I can. But they're going to be things that just do not line up for you. And on the other side, particularly if you have grown up in the church and you come from a conservative church background, there's going to be things that I say that really frustrate you. And um, that's okay. We're trying to work through this together. And I'm not saying that I have the corner on this. I have done a lot of study and a lot of work on it, but that does not mean I'm always right. And so you're free to push back personally, not, uh, not, through, uh, not publicly in the class. Um, and you're free to push back on the questions. Send, send questions in. If you're disagreeing with things, absolutely send those questions in. I'd love to deal with those. Um, but um, that, that's uh, expect to be frustrated along the way. And expect to express love and grace to one another. I, I want you to hear that wherever you are, and I know some of your stories, you're coming from a lot of different backgrounds. I, I truly believe the gospel is good news for all people. And the gospel being good news for all people means if you come in here and you're struggling with sexuality, you're struggling with gender, you're struggling with guilt from the past or shame, or you're struggling with the cycles that you find yourselves in, the, the gospel is good news for all of us. And so that means that in the end, you will experience the love and the grace of Jesus. There may be some bumps along the way, but you'll experience the love and grace of Jesus. Um, final thing I want to say tonight, and then um, we'll, I'm going to uh, see, I think I just have a few questions coming in, so uh, yep. Just look real quick and see if there's anything that we need to cover tonight. Good. All right. Um, final thing is this: if I could, if I could impart one thing to you, and literally to everybody I have this conversation with, I, I would impart the the heart of Jesus as he was going to the cross. I don't know if you remember the conversation that he had with God the Father in the garden. There's a struggle. And in the midst of that struggle, as Jesus was wrestling, he finally came to a place where he said, not my will, but yours be done. And I think for most of us, what trips us up in our sexuality is that we are trying to fuse the will of God with our will. We, we see, we experience, we wrestle with, we want, we desire, whatever it is. We try to fuse the two together. And so my prayer for you is that you would come at least for the next three weeks in a place that says, not my will, but yours. I, I really do want to learn what you have to tell me. And it may be at the end of three weeks that you say, this is fooey, it doesn't, it doesn't make any sense, I'm out. And, and that's okay, I would really love for you to have a conversation with me about that, but that's okay, I get it. I get it. Um, you, you will clearly understand where we stand and what I believe is really, really exceptionally clear biblically. And so that, that could hit you hard. But I, w I, I really want to encourage you, if you're coming as a follower of Jesus, part of what that means is saying, 
what God's will is is what actually is best for me. And if you're coming here and you're not yet a follower of Jesus, I'm glad you're in the conversation. This is part of that conversation for you. But, but again, the gospel, I believe, is good news for everybody, wherever you are. And I actually believe that God's will is best for us, all of us. And so that means we're going to wrestle through that. But if I could impart that to you, not my will, but yours be done, I would love to see us as those people who say, not my will, but yours be done. All right, we're going to wrap up for tonight. Like I said, we're going to be about 50-50 teaching and questions starting next week. And so uh, you're welcome to send questions through the week. Some of you know this is my my personal cell phone and my personal email. So they will come to me, and I'll uh, put them all together and uh, begin the process. So if you have questions in the middle of the week, you can shoot them to there. Um, If you are concerned about anonymity for a question and you would like to... Um, you're you're concerned if you send it to my cell phone or my email, I'm going to know who you are. That's totally fine. Write it down on a piece of paper and uh, either leave it on my desk or uh, leave it here on a pulpit uh, when we come in on a Wednesday night, and I'll get it that way. That's totally fine. You can ask anonymous questions. We just don't have a good way to do that. Honestly, if I I could create a dummy number and uh, through Gmail, and you could send it to me, and it would look like it's anonymous, but I'd still know who you are, so I want to be upfront about the fact that if you're going to truly be anonymous, you're going to have to write it down on a piece of paper and hand it, put it, put it somewhere, uh, get, it, get it to me in some way. And so feel free to just, you know, put it in an envelope. Um, I- if you would, when, if you put it in an envelope, don't write um, Brian Cannell for sex on it, because that will not go well for me. So if you would just um, keep that a little bit more um, anyway, all right, yeah, good. I told you I'd try to tell a joke here and there because it's going to be heavy otherwise, right? Like, come on, it would be bad. All right, um, I'm going to pray for us, and then I'll be hanging here for a little bit. If uh, anybody wants to talk now, you're welcome to do that, and then we're going to dive in next week. Pumped to be able to do that. Jesus, thank you for your love for us. Thank you that in the midst of a world that has swung all kinds of different directions, you have a good plan for us. Thank you that your goodness, your, your gospel truth, is good news for all of us. And so, God, wherever we're coming from, whatever our background is, I pray that you would help us to hear from you. God, um, g- give us grace as we move through this class over the next couple weeks. Um, God, I thank you for each person that's here, and I pray your blessing in their life as we go into a confusing world. Help us to be beacons of light and of peace and of grace to the world around us. Help us to love people right where they are and to invite them into what it means to truly follow after you. And so Jesus, go before us as we go through the rest of the week. We give it to you. We trust you in your name. Amen.